Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Here lately we've been sharing thoughts with you about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, either emphasizing the fact that at His coming we will be glorified, the dead shall be raised and carried home to be with Him forever, or facts about the second coming itself, how the Lord will return on the last day and will destroy the world. There will not be another age prior to the destruction of the world after he comes, but on that last day, well, that's the final day of human history in this universe. He raises the dead, glorifies his people, judges his enemies, and takes us home to a place that Scripture refers to as the new heavens and the new earth. Today we want to share with you a message that I delivered last week at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 on the suddenness and the unexpectedness of the second coming of Christ. Or to borrow a statement that the Lord made and the apostles Peter and Paul both used in their writings, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. That is to say, when people are vulnerable feeling safe and secure, and not expecting the wrath of God. That's when the Lord is going to show up, when he least expects it, in other words. There are three basic points that we emphasize in this message. First of all, as we've already said, the unexpectedness of the Lord's coming, the fact that he will come very suddenly, and the wicked will not expect him to be here. Number two, how the way that we live can cause us to be confident at the thought of his coming or ashamed at the thought of his coming. And then lastly, we want to consider the fact that whether we're awake or asleep, as it were, whether we are vigilant and diligent to watch and wait for the coming of the Lord, or if we are actually asleep at the will, because God has appointed us not to wrath, but to salvation— We will be with the Lord in glory regardless of what we have done in this life because Christ died for us, and in dying for us, he took away our sins. And so here is today's message, A Thief in the Night. Lately, we've been discussing together concepts such as heaven and hell, the fact that at death our souls as God's people go to a place called paradise, The souls of those who do not belong to the Lord go to a place that is called in Scripture torment. We've also considered together the second coming of Christ, how the Lord Jesus is coming again. And this is a fact. Scripture emphatically declares that Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, and we know that what we believe, it is not a myth, it's not a fiction. It's not a fairy tale, but the Lord Jesus is coming again. And as we discussed last week, don't be discouraged that 2,000 years have gone by since Jesus' ascension into glory and this present moment, because as Second Peter 3 says, as we studied together, a day is unto the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Peter is as good as saying through the Holy Spirit that it will be thousands of years between the ascension of the Lord and His second coming, not because God is slack, not because He forgot about you and I down here, but there will be thousands of years, now we know 2,000 years, 
between Jesus' ascension and his second coming because God has more people that he is going to save. The long-suffering of our Lord is salvation for his people. And as we made the point last week, if Jesus had come back in 1750, you and I never would have been born. We would have never known him. We never would have existed. But as Jesus died upon the cross, he died with you in mind. Not just those who had lived before the cross, not just the disciples at a distance witnessing his crucifixion, not just those who believed in the first century and loved him and followed him and wanted to be a part of his church, but Jesus had every single child of God from the beginning of time until the end in mind when he died upon the cross. And so here we are in 2022, and the Lord hasn't come back yet. That's because Jesus is still waiting for some of his children to be born into this world so that he can send the Holy Spirit into their heart, quicken them when they're dead in trespasses and in sins, and when the last child of God is born again, that's all that Jesus is waiting for. He will come back and he will rescue his people from this terrible, wretched, and wicked place. This morning we want to revisit a statement in the passage that we considered together last Sunday as we considered the end of the world at Jesus' return. And just to remind you of what we discussed last week, when Jesus returns again, that is the last day. How do you know that? Because the Bible calls it the last day. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which, 2 Peter 3.10 The heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. If I think that there's going to be another era of humanity, another dispensation of time here in the world when Jesus returns, my question then becomes, where in the world is it going to be? You say, Jesus is going to establish a kingdom. Well, Jesus did that in the first century, and it's been in the world since the first century. The kingdom is at hand. That's the question that I'd like to ask folks who believe in some of these futuristic ideas. If the heavens and the earth melt with a fervent heat, where in the world is all of this going to take place that people seem to think is going to take place after Jesus' coming? But when Jesus comes again, the earth and the heavens are destroyed. Now, the point that I want to give you today is the suddenness of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a point that we want to emphasize for you. Notice this. We emphasized last week the destruction of the world. All these things shall be dissolved. What manner of person ought you and I to be? Because we understand that everything in this world is going to be destroyed. We ought to be people who hold everything in this world with a loose grip. We ought to be people who do not panic about the things in this world. We don't obsess about the things in this world because we understand that God has the say. God is in control. God has the authority. And everything down here on earth is going to be destroyed. Now, do you need to hear that message? I'm going to tell you, there are people that spend so much time on landscaping their yard that you think they think... This world is going to last forever. I mean, they're out there with a ruler measuring the grass. And oh my goodness, a weed. Let's go pull it up because God forbid a weed be in the yard. You know that lawn that you care so much about is going to be burned up when Jesus comes again? You know that house that you spend so much time keeping prim and proper is going to be burned up when Jesus comes again? You know your favorite sports team and their coliseum is going to be burned up when Jesus comes again? How many of you cried out war tide, roll eagle, and all the other things yesterday? (laughs) 
You know those stadiums are going to be burned up when Jesus comes again. You know Washington, D.C. is going to be burned up when Jesus comes again. I'll tell you what, if this really takes root in your life, what you think about politics, and I was thinking about myself earlier today, it went from about a 95 to a 10 out of 100 on the I care scale. Our favorite sports teams, maybe an 80 to an 85 for me, down to about a 15 or 20. Did I just admit I care more about sports than I do politics? Well, if you're a mathematician, I guess I did. We ought to hold everything down here with a loose grip because it's all going to come to an end and you don't have to worry about how it's going to turn out because Jesus is going to win. The statement that I want to emphasize for us today, now I'm going to borrow it here from 2 Peter 3, but we're going to spend a lot of time, most of our time together from the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which, in this day, this last day, Jesus returns, he raises the dead, he gathers all nations before him, he divides as a shepherd divides between his sheep and the goats, he casts the goats in the lake of fire, he takes the sheep to be with him forever, and he destroys the universe. And this will occur as a thief in the night. Let's emphasize it, as a thief in the night. The Apostle Paul would use this same language in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, we love to preach on the second coming of Christ from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, but I could probably count on one hand the number of times that I've heard sermons on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Why is that? Maybe some of the language is uncomfortable. Maybe some of the language is hard to deal with. But I think as we get through with this little run of verses today from 1 Thessalonians 5, you'll see that this is just as comforting of a message as we get to the final point as what we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. As we think about the second coming of Christ, so often we point out the fact that those who have gone on to be with the Lord, they will be raised again when the Lord comes again. Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, we read, The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. And then we usually do what? We put a period on it. We don't go into the next chapter, and we stop our teaching on the resurrection and the second coming of Christ right there. But I want to emphasize for you today some things that we read in chapter 5 about the suddenness and the unexpectedness of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, part of this message and why it's comforting to us is to know that all of the enemies of God in this world, though they are powerful, Psalm 73, they obtain political power, though they enslave people and slaughter people, they conspire against God and they persecute God's people because they hate Christ, they are mighty and they are powerful, but there is a day that is coming when they least expect it, when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come again, and there is nothing that they can do to stop Him. I was reading last night from Revelation, you know what happens to the wicked, powerful men of this world when the Lord Jesus comes again? It says that as the heavens depart as a scroll and the stars fall to the earth, that wicked men will hide in the caves of this earth from the wrath of the Lamb. 
Now, please understand, Jesus' return is in the twinkling of an eye, but everything that happens after his return does not end in an instant. There is enough time for the dead to rise. And then we which are alive and remain after that will join them in the air. The wicked who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord, they will hide from the face of Christ and their resistance, you might say, is futile. (laughs) As he comes again, there is nothing that can happen that will prevent them from facing judgment of God for what they have done to his people throughout their existence. And they have power, they rise to positions of authority and wealth, they use religion, they use politics, they use sports, they use entertainment, they use whatever they can that Satan runs in this world, they use whatever they can to have power to afflict God's people. And God will have the victory over them. And his coming in this is sudden, and to them... It is unexpected. Remember what we emphasized from 2 Peter chapter 3? What is it that they will be saying as Jesus comes again? Where is the promise of his coming? All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. What are they called in 2 Peter 3? They are called scoffers, walking after their own lusts. Paul says here, let's read it in 1 Thessalonians 5, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. The times and the seasons of what? When the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. You have no need that I write unto you about when the second coming is going to occur. Wouldn't you like to know that? Well, Paul would too, but he doesn't know that. And he knows that you don't know that. And no one knows that because he has the words of Christ that no one knows the second coming of Christ but God the Father in glory. Not even the angels know, according to the Olivet Discourse, when the second coming of Christ will be. Only God in glory knows this. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, that's interesting because you have Peter saying this in 2 Peter 3. You have Paul saying this in 1 Thessalonians 5. This is obviously common language to the first century church when you've got two of these apostles using this exact same language. Where do you think they get this language? From the very teachings of Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 24, in Luke, I believe, chapter 12, Jesus taught that the good men of the house would not suffer his house to be broken into by a thief in the night if he knew what hour the thief was coming. And Jesus uses this to teach that the wicked of this world will be caught off guard by Jesus as Jesus comes again. And even if they knew he was coming, there's nothing that they could do about it. And my dad was listening to a radio interview in about 1995 or so. It was on a local Christian station in Birmingham, Alabama. And there were a couple of hosts that were discussing what, what would happen if Jesus comes back and the U.S. as a strong military power sees him coming on the telescopes and begins firing missiles at him in an attempt to stop him from coming again. Let me tell you, you don't have to worry about the U.S. military going up against the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're a very arrogant people, but we'd be fools to think we could do anything against the God that created the world. Oh, you're going to throw matter at him. That's all it is, is matter. It's a nuclear... No, it's matter. 
You're going to fire missiles. It's matter. You're going to shoot lasers. Okay, are those photons? It's still something God has created. You're going to shoot bullets at him. It's matter. You're going to fire the thing that he spoke into existence at him to stop him as he comes again? God forbid. Are we out of our minds? Jesus is teaching that not to say that the wicked of this world could do anything about the second coming. He's simply teaching that his coming is so unexpected because they reject him, they do not believe in him, that it will fall upon them as a thief in the night. So cometh as a thief. Now, one could emphasize the fact, and it ought to be emphasized, that Jesus is not a thief. He is not a thief in the night, but his coming is as a thief in the night. That is to say, it is unexpected. If a thief comes in the night, and you and I probably all have cameras around our houses these days. You you have all those little electronic cameras, and we have all of these protections against thieves in the night. Outside, you've got fences, and you've got dogs, and you've got cameras. Inside, you may have weapons. You have locks and deadbolts to keep people out. But there's something about a thief coming in the middle of the night when you are asleep that bothers you and scares you. You are at your most vulnerable point when you are asleep. The thought of a thief coming at you when you are most vulnerable is terrifying. When you're asleep in your home in the middle of the night, you are not at watch, you are not vigilant, Vigil is when you stay up all night. It's the root of the word vigilant. You are not being diligent to watch and wait as you are asleep. You are at your most vulnerable. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. As they are at their most vulnerable... As they are not paying attention, as they are proudly going about this world saying, where is the promise of his coming? Peace and safety, sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, that is a woman giving birth, which is, as I understand it, about the worst pain that a person can experience short of a man having a cold. I've witnessed it. Five times. Six if you count when we lost the twins. They were second trimester. It wasn't third trimester pain. When Scripture wants to give you the worst type of pain imaginable, it compares it to a woman giving birth. These people will be saying peace and safety, and in an instant, unexpected, travail comes upon them and they shall not escape. That's referring with a word picture to the judgment of Christ that shall befall the wicked at the end of the world. Now, there's a lot of different passages that I could go to to depict this for you. Jesus returns as a thief. He's not a thief. The thief comes to kill and destroy. Jesus came to die for people that he loves. They came to arrest Jesus like a thief. He wasn't a thief. He was a peaceful man the entire time that he was around them. And yet they came to arrest him as a thief. But his second coming and his judgment to them, is going to be as a thief in the night. In the book of Revelation 20, we won't turn there, Gog and Magog. What does Jesus do as they're waging war at the loosing of Satan? He comes back in an instant and he destroys them with the brightness of his coming. What happens to the man of sin sitting in the temple, showing himself that he's God with all lying signs and wonders? 
Jesus returns and Jesus personally destroys him. I don't care how powerful they are. Jesus returns as they are saying peace and safety, conquering, destroying. Jesus returns and they are destroyed. But just as the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 was, 1 Thessalonians 5 and the promise of Jesus coming and the judgment of, wicked, of the wicked is tied to an exhortation to you and to me. They say, the wicked, peace and safety and sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Have you ever been asked a question and you say, well, I'm pretty much in the dark on that. What do you mean by that? I don't really know. I don't have light on that. I'm ignorant of that. You brethren are not in darkness that that they should overtake you as a thief. Is Paul saying you are not ignorant of the fact that Jesus is coming again, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Also, you are children of light and not of the night nor of darkness. God's judgment is going to befall the powers of darkness, and you as children of light will not be taken in that judgment. Therefore, let us not sleep. Now, by the way, that's not a commandment to stay up all night. Sleep there has reference to living in foolishness, living in wickedness, living a sinful life. God's wrath is going to befall the wicked like a thief coming in the night. Therefore, you and I ought not be asleep. We ought to be vigilant. We ought to be awake. We ought to be paying attention. We ought to be discerning the signs and the seasons, the signs of the times. We ought to be praying and looking and watching and waiting and working and doing all diligence to enter into the rest that God has provided for us in his gospel. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Now, obviously, sober there can have reference to not taking alcohol to excess, but this has so much more application than mere substance abuse. You and I can be totally sober as far as alcohol is concerned, but totally drunken as it relates to taking our mind off of our responsibilities, living a haphazard, foolish life, being flippant with what God has given us, living as fools. You and I can be deceived. To be sober has far more application than alcohol. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. I want you to understand this today, and we'll turn to the book of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. While, as we will see in a minute, there is absolutely, if you are in Christ, no risk of being overtaken as a thief in the night and judged by God in destruction because you are his child. The exhortation I want to leave you with today is this. Though, as we will see in a moment, it's going to be fine with you when you leave this world. When Jesus comes again, it is unexpected, it is sudden. 
If I am living my life as a fool at the moment of his coming, for whatever period of time it is between his return and my glorification, I will be ashamed at the way I'm living. Does that scare you? Maybe it should. Again, am I saying you're going to go to hell? No. But listen to 1 John 1.28. Little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. That ought to sober me up because he's coming back. I know I'm going to be with him in glory, but for whatever period of time it is between his return, when he shouts, when the trumpet sounds, and I'm glorified, and remember, the dead are raised first, and then we watch our alive and remain. For however long that takes, if I'm living my life as a fool, I'm going to be ashamed at the way I've lived. What happens if Jesus comes back on a Friday night at 3.30 a.m. and you're drunk in a bar hanging out with people you ought not be with? When that trumpet sounds, you're going to think, oh, no, why did he have to come back now? He found me in such a terrible state. You know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to love you anyway because he died for you. He's going to rescue you. He's going to carry you to be with him in glory. But, beloved, don't you want to have confidence at his coming and not shame and fear? When that sky parts and he shouts and the trumpet sounds, don't you want to scream, now is the time. Christ has returned. Amen. Bring us home, Lord. Rather than, Lord, I'm so sorry that you found me doing this. You know what? I think keeping that in the back of our mind helps us to live a life that is more pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's a part of why this is included in John's writings and Paul's writings and Peter's writings. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, what? Knowing these things, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holiness? What's his point? If you know the world is going to be destroyed, you ought to live a different way. And we ought to live in a certain way that when he comes again, for whatever moment that is, that we're not ashamed at his coming. Do you want to be ashamed when Jesus comes back? I don't think you do. I think you want to be confident. I think the thought of his coming ought to make you even much more desire that it be now than delayed. If it doesn't, then maybe we should examine the way that we live. Let's say you're living the way you shouldn't live when Jesus comes back. You might be ashamed for a moment, but I want you to notice what happens in the second coming, even if you are not sober, even if you sleep. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. Listen to this. Read it together. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Even if your life is not what your life ought to be, though you might be ashamed when that trumpet sounds, because he appointed you not to wrath, but to salvation. Even if you are asleep at the will, as it were, when Jesus comes back, you will be with him in glory. The Lord Jesus Christ will return in an instant, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 
May we live in such a way that we are not ashamed at His coming, that we may have confidence when He appears. But let us also understand that whether we wake or sleep, if Jesus died for us, He has appointed us to salvation and not wrath. And so as He concludes this chapter, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. The message of the second coming of Christ ought to cause us to live in a sober way. But above all, even when we fail, the message of the second coming of Christ ought to give us comfort. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. An online directory is available at marchtozion.com. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. And finally, Words of Grace is a listener-supported program. To contact us, address your correspondence to... Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741. Or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.